the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. And I've got the interpretation too. By the way, between when Daniel does that and when God answers Daniel's prayer... In Daniel 20, verses 20 to 23, is just this beautiful section of praise. We closed our service last week looking at that. It's just a good reminder to us, friends. When you spend time praying and asking God for something, be sure that you follow up with praising Him. We are quick to pray. As soon as we get some answer, off we go, and we forget God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Daniel. Has God recently answered a prayer request within your life? Thank Him. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you the importance of giving praise to the Lord. Oftentimes, it can be easy to forget to thank God when you receive what you've been asking Him for. However, Pastor Gary encourages you to be sure to follow up your request to the Lord with an offering of praise. Tell the Lord how good He's been to you. Express gratitude and praise for all that He's done in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as he begins his message, Kings and Kingdoms. If you have your Bibles open now to Daniel, chapter 2, let me give us a running start, and then we'll read starting at verse 31. The first half of Daniel chapter 2 that we talked about last week had to do with a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had that was so troubling to him that it woke him up in the middle of the night and he couldn't go back to sleep. So he calls for his advisors and counselors to come because he wants help interpreting this troubling dream. So he calls upon what the Bible refers to as his astrologers, sorcerers, enchanters, all around, quote, wise men. Now, these were men who were specifically trained and tapped into the demonic, and they used incantations, and they used certain ways of tapping into the demonic to try to decipher and discern things, and Nebuchadnezzar turns to them for an interpretation to his troubling dream, only there's a twist. When he, when he gathers some of them together in his chambers, he tells them not only does he want the interpretation, but he wants them to tell him what his dream was. And they 
in a very respectful, royal kind of way, push back and say, you're crazy. You know, I mean, if you don't tell us at least what the dream is, how can you expect us to interpret it? And Nebuchadnezzar's like, this is, this is going to separate the men from the boys. That's why. Because you guys are either, you're legit, you got some street cred, or you're, or you're not. And so you're going to tell me what the dream was and the interpretation, or I'm going to cut you into little bits and I'm going to burn your house down. They couldn't do what he was asking. So he made kibbles and bits out of them and uh, burned down their houses. And then he sent messengers to kill all the wise men in Babylon. Among the wise men of Babylon are Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Because even though these four guys were faithful to the Lord, they didn't tap into any of the demonic stuff that the other astrologers and enchanters did. Nevertheless, they were in the category of wise men because after they had been taken captive in Jerusalem, these young Jewish men were trained in the ways of the wise men in the areas of literature and language and, and all of the Babylonian culture to prepare them to serve the king. So because they're in the category of wise men, they were on the hit list too. And so when Daniel finds out that he's going to die along with the other wise men of Babylon, he appeals to King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Nebuchadnezzar, because God has made Daniel favorably disposed to his leaders, Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel extra time. And Daniel goes back home to his dorm room where his three roommates are and says, guys, because about this time they're about 18 years of age. He says, guys, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to figure out what the dream is and what the interpretation is, or we're going to die with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So this is, this is amazing because, you know, any point in life, we should be people who recognize prayer, not as a last resort, but as a first line of defense. But what is particularly amazing is that these guys are 18. These guys are young teenagers living in a foreign land, foreign culture, foreign language. They've been stripped of everything familiar and comfortable, but they rely on the Lord. And they, even in their, you know, teen years are saying to each other, we got to seek the face of God. And that's exactly what they do. And when they do, God reveals to Daniel what the dream was and its interpretation. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So Daniel then asks the chief of the eunuchs, can I go back to King Nebuchadnezzar and tell him what his dream was? And I've got the interpretation too. By the way, between when Daniel does that and when God answers Daniel's prayer. In Daniel 20, verses 20 to 23, is just this beautiful section of praise. We closed our service last week looking at that. It's just a good reminder to us, friends. When you spend time praying and asking God for something, be sure that you follow up with praising Him. We are quick to pray, and as soon as we get some answer, off we go, and we forget God. Daniel took time to praise his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he asked permission to go to the king and to tell him. And that's where we are here in chapter 2, verse 31, down through verse 45. Daniel speaking here in verse 31. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. 
The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile." As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. If you uh, were around, this is a little before my time, but in 1958, the number one hit song of the day was by the Everly Brothers, All I Have to Do is Dream. Remember that song? Dream, 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 dream when I want you. Okay, how many of you remember that song? All right, look around. This is, these are the people who lived in the time of innocence. 1958. There's actually a lot of songs about dreams. 1973, Aerosmith, Steven Tyler. Dream on, dream on, dream a dream, your dreams come true. How many of you remember that song? All right, now look around. Those people did drugs in the 70s. That's... Uh, <laughs> It's a set. I, you know, every time I do that, you forget I'm going to say stuff like that. But that's because you, you did drugs in the 70s, so you're not prepared again to get slammed for that. But anyhow, dreams. Scientific uh, information about dreams goes like this. They're not only common to every human being. They are necessary for maintaining adequate mental and emotional health. If someone is deprived of REM sleep, the rapid eye movement, it can lead to some serious physiological complications. In the book, Scientific Study of Dreams... The author G. William Domhoff tells us that most people over the age of 10 typically have four to six dreams per night. According to a study about 10 years ago in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, 56% of Americans believe that their dreams reveal meaningful hidden truths. 56%. And there's some truth to that, because not only are there natural dreams that all of us have, there are sometimes supernatural dreams that God can give a person. In fact, in the Bible, there are more than 100 specific references of dreams that God has given to people as a means of communicating with them. This is one of those times. Here in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He does not know this is a dream from God, but it is. And In the course of this dream, God is going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar a little bit about himself, God about himself, 
And also in the course of the dream, God is going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar a little bit about the present and a lot about the future. Now, from Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's point of view in terms of where they are on the timeline, most of the dream has to do with the future and some of it has to do with the present. For us, studying this now where we are on the timeline, this dream is mostly history for us. But there is still a future element, even of this dream here in Daniel chapter 2. So don't tune out because not all of this is history. The wonderful thing that we have, the advantage we have, is we're able now to see that most of what Daniel said has happened. Some is still to happen. And so we have the advantage of looking back and recognizing history that all the things that God said was going to happen have happened up to this point. So that means that the other aspect of this dream that has yet to occur, even in our lifetime, that's going to happen too. Because you can bank on the fact that if God has been consistently faithful and true all the way up to this point in terms of this dream, he's also going to fulfill the rest of it. So we know what is coming. We have the advantage as Christians of opening up our Bibles and actually getting a glimpse into the future so that we can be aware of these things and prepared for these things. So we're going to be looking backwards in terms of history, but we're also going to be looking a little bit in terms of the future and the prophetic element that is in this dream as well. And so Daniel starts out by telling Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what he saw was a statue, a statue that might have looked something like this. A statue that is described in this dream as having a head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet mixed with iron and clay. And then Daniel also says that as part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw this stone, this rock, not hewn by human hands, but this rock that came out of heaven and then fell on the feet of this statue and crushed it, and subsequently the entire statue ended up crumbling down. And so Daniel presents, that's the overall dream that you have, and now Daniel follows up because he's received inspiration from the Lord as to its interpretation. The dream that God has given Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel interprets is a dream that has to do with the rise and the fall of kings and kingdoms, of world empires, starting with his own, starting with Nebuchadnezzar's own empire, the Babylonian empire. So if you look back here in your Bibles at Daniel 2, again, verse 36, Daniel says to him, this is the dream, and now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. Notice, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. And so Daniel starts with the head of the statue. He's going to work all the way down to the toes. But he starts by saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you are represented by this head of gold in this statue. And I want to point out again in verse 37 that Daniel specifically says, For the God of heaven has given you, Nebuchadnezzar, a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Notice he points out the fact that Nebuchadnezzar would not be in power except for the fact that God has sovereignly chosen him for such a time as this. This pagan, this heathen king, God nevertheless has raised up to accomplish God's purposes in the world. This is important theology as it relates to the sovereignty of God and even kings and kingdoms of the nations. In Romans 13 verse 1, it tells us that there's no authority given unto us except that which God has established. Government comes from God, and he he is sovereignly at work 
directing the affairs of nations. He raises up kings, he deposes them. This is Daniel 2.21, that kings rise and kings fall because God removes kings and God raises up kings. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he, God, turns it wherever he wills. And so God is sovereignly involved in the affairs of men and rulers of nations. And we need to keep this in mind that, simply put, God is sovereign over the nations. Even at times, raising up a pagan, ungodly man like Nebuchadnezzar for God's purposes, to accomplish his purposes in the earth for his timing. You know, the Bible even specifically says about Nebuchadnezzar, 1 Chronicles 6.15, it says, The Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And in Jeremiah 25, verse 9, God refers to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant. So this is important for us to realize overall, because what was true for Nebuchadnezzar in his day is true for the kings and kingdoms of our day. Meaning that even, for example, in a democracy or in the case of a republic like ours, where people get a chance to vote, God can still move the hearts of men and women to vote in a way to accomplish his purposes. Now, here's why this is important to understand, because you're going to get your underwear all tied up in a knot every time you think that your person got elected or your person didn't get elected, all right? We need to rest in the fact that God sovereignly is involved in the nations, and he raises up kings, and he removes them, all right? It's all in the hand of God. So there are times when there might be some pagan king, and there are sometimes there might be some godly king. Either way, God's going to accomplish his purposes through either person. You know, we don't need to get all bent out of shape and all worked up about, you know, what we do or don't like. God, God, is, God is in charge of things, okay? And, and frankly, when you look at the way that God used pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar, and Cyrus, who follows, eventually follows Nebuchadnezzar, and how both Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus were favorably disposed towards the Jews and did things that helped them and benefited them, quite honestly, listen, I would rather have, as far as it relates to us, I would rather have a president that doesn't necessarily claim to know the Lord, but God uses him to be favorably disposed to Christians and to espouse Christian values and biblical truths in our land than any president who might say that he's a Christian, but yet the social policies are anti-God, anti-family, anti-life. You see what I'm saying? God is going to direct, and God is going to be involved, and God is sovereign in ways that we can rest in that and trust him and put our confidence in the one who is seated on a throne in heaven and not whoever occupies the White House. Don't get wigged out about that, all right? Just don't get wigged out about that. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you're in power because God has allowed it. God has chosen you for such a time as this. God has given you a throne. He's raised you up and he's made you ruler. So starting from the statue, the head down to the toes, he says, you are that king and Babylon is that kingdom. The Babylonian empire roughly lasted 70 years from around 612 BC to 539 BC. It wasn't actually very long. And then God deposed Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, it was his grandson by the time that God said the Babylonian empire is done. And it had served its purpose. And God wanted to raise up another king who would be, again, favorably disposed to the Jews to let him go back home, which brings us to the next kingdom. You move down the statue from the head of gold. You come now to chest and arms of silver, as verse 32 tells us. 
And in verse 39, if you look again in your Bibles, verse 39, he says, but after you, Nebuchadnezzar, shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Please notice that the materials of the statue become inferior the more you go from head to toe. We start with a head of gold. We move now to chest and arms of silver, which represent the Persian Empire. But notice that there are two arms on this statue, and that fits historically, because for a time, there was the co-regency with the Medes and the Persians. So the next thing that we have the advantage of history, now looking backwards, we can see what Daniel was saying moving forwards, but historically, we know that the empire of the Medes and Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire, lasted from around 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. Following them, Daniel says at the end of verse 39, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, is going to come. And so we move now to the belly and thighs of bronze that follow the Medo-Persian Empire, and he speaks of what would end up being, we now know historically, the Greek Empire. The Greek Empire lasted from roughly 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. and enters Alexander the Great. Now, Daniel prophesies about Alexander the Great 200 years before he's born. He does not mention him by name. But Daniel is clear in the description. We know now that what he, who, the person he's referring to was none other than Alexander the Great. Because later, and we'll get to it more in Daniel chapter 8. In Daniel chapter 8, Daniel talks about the king who rises from this third kingdom, who has no successors. Now, Alexander the Great died at the age of 33 with no successors. He actually ended up dying in Babylon, believe it or not. And when he had no successors... The Greek empire under Alexander the Great was divided among his four generals, which is exactly what Daniel said would happen, that there would arise a king from the third empire, from the third kingdom who had no successors, and that his kingdom would be divided into four parts. So again, you know, we have this beautiful vantage point of looking at, at, at what was then biblical prophecy, seeing how it's been fulfilled, recognizing, listen, what does this mean? What this means is, again, it's just more credibility to the fact that God is sovereign, and God is true, and God is just, and He will accomplish His purposes. And we see these things unraveling as Daniel said they would, just as they would. And so, then he moves on to the fourth kingdom in verse 40. And he says that the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And so, we, we know from history, right? What follows the Greek empire? The Romans. The Romans come into power and they are a ruthless people. They are like iron, just breaking other countries apart, taking power, roughly 168 BC to 476 AD. It's interesting that iron is used in this, in this vision and the most prestigious legion of the Roman army was the sixth legion, which was also known in Latin as the Legio Sexta Ferrata, which translates the Sixth Iron Legion, because their shields and helmets were all made of iron. So it's very interesting. You know, Daniel sees way down, even calls out the element here that's going to typify this kingdom. And what's also interesting is, is that Rome here, symbolized by these two iron legs, the Roman Empire does become divided into two legs. We know from history in 286 AD, 
two empires would emerge from the Roman Empire, and Rome would end up being the capital of the Western Roman Empire, otherwise known as the Holy Roman Empire. And then the Eastern Roman Empire would be known as the Byzantine Empire, with the capital in Constantinople, which is today Istanbul. And so we see the division now historically, understanding what Daniel was prophesying about. Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of Daniel. This man of faith lived in a time where Israel wasn't a nation. They didn't even live in their own homeland. Yet people like Daniel and his friends continued to serve the Lord, even when it wasn't widely accepted. They faced persecution, even to the point of death, yet they remained firmly planted in the truth of God's Word. While today you may not be facing a lion's den or a furnace if you profess your trust in Christ, you may indeed face opposition. God is still calling you to stand strong and to tell the truth, helping others to see the light. Your Creator is with you and will be your strength through whatever comes your way. Please know that we're praying for you here at Cornerstone Connection. If there's something specific we could be lifting up to the Lord, please get in touch with us. Our number is 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know